So let's look at that text together. Matthew 18, 15 through 20. Donnie read for us a few minutes ago. Matthew 18, 15 through 20. It's good to see you. Beautiful, beautiful morning. And we are glad to be here. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be able to worship with uh, this little community of God's people at this place. You know, the, the thing that we have that God wants us to maintain is unity. He wants his local churches to stay together. He wants us to be of one spirit and of one mind. I guess there's, I don't know, there's no way of knowing how many times something like this comes up either directly or indirectly in Scripture. I mean, it's all over the place. It's all over the place, especially when you get past, I mean, when you, when you get into the days of the church. I mean, God just talks about this all the time. He, he talks about it all the time, how... He wants the church to, to be together. He wants us to get along with one another, and he wants us to deal with one another in ways that are kind. In fact, take almost any letter written by Paul, starting in Romans and going to you know, Philemon, 
And uh, he's going to talk about it in, in that letter, in each of those letters in some way. Now, our text is Matthew 18. And what I want you to do, if you have a Bible there, I'd love for you to look down at your Bible. Uh, and I don't know, there's, it's interesting how I've, I've known this story a long time, and many of you have known this story a long time, what he says here about if your brother sins against you, which we already read, what you ought to do. But I guess I didn't realize the context of it as much as I noticed it this week when I was studying this, how this is, well, let's look at it. Look at, look at it. Matthew 18. Look what he's talking about right before this and what he's talking about right after this. One of, the, one of the most famous stories in all the Bible is the one where Jesus tells about a shepherd who's got a hundred sheep. You can finish that story, can't you? He's got a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray. And what does the shepherd do? I think, I think most people, even folks who don't go to church a lot, you've heard the story of the hundred sheep. You know, he's got hundred, one of them goes astray, and he leaves the 99 on the mountains. This is, this is Matthew 18, verse, uh, verse 12. He, he leaves the 99 on the mountains, and he goes in search of the one that went astray. This one, another version, a longer version of it is told in Luke 15. And if he finds it, verse 13, if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And by little one, don't think of child. Uh, think of disciple. That's the way the, this expression is usually used in the, by, by Jesus in the New Testament. So, so anyway, he says this. He says, you got a you hundred sheep, one of them goes astray. You go out there and you get that sheep and you, you, bring, you bring him back. God wants more than anything. He wants all of his people. He wants all of his children to stay close to me. And if you mess up, if you go out there and you, you, know, you, you sow those wild oats like the prodigal son of Luke 15, you, if, if you go do that, he wants you to come back. I mean, the story of the Bible is about what God is doing to bring people back to him. He goes after the sheep. He drops what he's doing and he hunts for the lost coin in Luke 15. When the sinner comes back, he runs and he meets him and he welcomes him with open arms, invites him, throws a party for him, kills the fatted calf, you know, puts a robe around his shoulder, sandals on his feet, a ring on his finger. That's what God does. He wants people to come home. He wants people to come back. That's the story of the Bible. Genesis 1, Revelation 22, all 66 books have this one theme and that is what God is doing to bring you back to him. That's what he wants. So he goes after you. That's the theme of the Bible, really. So in Matthew 18, that's what it's talking about. Now, if you look down to verse 21, through the end of the chapter, verse 35, you'll, this is another pretty famous thing that Jesus said. You've got this story Jesus tells about this, this guy, this guy who owed his master 10,000 talents, which is, you know, we've studied this in the past before. 10,000 talents, you know how much, that's a, that's a gajillion. That's how many it is. It's, don't, don't think in terms of numbers. This is a gajillion, trillion, billion dollars. That's, that's what it is. You couldn't pay this in a thousand lifetimes. That's, that's what it means. <clears throat> and his master said, you don't owe me anything. I'm just, I'm just giving you a clean slate. So the guy who owed, owed him that and was forgiven of it, he goes out and finds somebody who owed him, you know, 50 bucks. More than that, really, but owed him something insubstantial compared to the what he had just been forgiven. And he grabs him by the throat and says, you're going to pay me every bit of it. And, and so what's that, what's that story about? That story is about forgiveness. 
Because when, when God has somebody who goes out into the wilderness, he has a sheep that goes astray, what does God want? He wants the sheep to come home. When the prodigal son goes out and sows his wild oats in the far country, what does God want? He wants him to come back. When, when there's a coin that's lost in the house, what does God do? He is, to use that story in Luke 15, he's the woman who drops what she's doing and she sweeps the house till she finds the coin. That's the message of the Bible. God brings people back. That's what he wants. So I want you to keep that in mind when we look at the story that's, not the story, but the, the teaching that's sandwiched in between those two, between the sheep and the shepherd goes after him and the, and, and the one who has been forgiven of an unpayable debt and refuses to extend forgiveness. And the point of that story is you need to forgive no matter what people do to you. So you've got God going after the sheep before, and you've got him teaching us, his teaching us that we need to forgive, 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 forgive. Keep on forgiving. In between there, you've got this little paragraph that we're going to study for the next few minutes, all right? So it is about what do you do when someone sins against Specifically, though, what do you do when, to use Jesus' words, Matthew 18, 15, what do you do when a brother sins against you? Now, Translation like an ESV or many of the translations you've got probably, have, ha, probably has brother there, right? Unless you're using, I think, that, I think the NIV does this differently. And, and it puts brother or sister in there. And that's pretty important for you to recognize that this word, uh, this word um, is a word that means, literally it means brother. But what it represents is, it's not gender specific here. It, it means somebody in the church. In fact, in fact, I think that's the way, uh, if you, any of you use the one translation called the New Revised Standard, you, you, what you've got in there is, if a member of the church is trying to communicate this idea, what he's saying here, he's narrowing this down specifically to a spiritual sibling, a member of the local body, a member of the called out people, a member of the church. So somebody that's a member here, all right? Gender doesn't matter, it's brother or sister. But, but it does matter that this person is a Christian, okay? That's what he's talking about, a follower of Jesus. So if a brother, sins, a brother or sister sins against you, go and tell him or her his or her fault between you and him alone. So what he's doing here is he's telling us this is how we go about this sort of, this sort of deal. So if you've got somebody in the church who sins against you. By the way, you know, think, make sure you understand what sin is here. This is not somebody looked at you cross-eyed, you know, or somebody just kind of, you know, wasn't, wasn't just, oh, didn't overwhelm you with friendliness one Sunday morning or, 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 you know, didn't encourage you as much as you ought to be encouraged or thought you should have been or whatever. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about trespasses. This is talking about sins. This isn't talking about my sensitive feelings here. Now, I don't want to demean that because maybe there's a principle here that applies in that sense. If, you know, if I think you, you're, you're angry with me, then, then the principle here would be I ought to go to you and talk to you before you know, I settle it in my mind that you're upset with me or whatever. But, but more specifically here, he's talking about a certain thing here. He's talking about somebody who has sinned against you, somebody who's sinned against you. They have sinned. So if your spiritual sibling sins against you, go to that person, tell him or her, his or her fault, between you and that person alone. And if the person listens, you've gained your sibling. Okay, so if your brother sins against you, I want you to notice a couple of things here. <clears throat> he says initially here, you go and talk to him alone. Please notice this. And 
what I was talking about earlier really illustrates this, but notice this, the purpose of this, the purpose of this is not to, you know, not to get him back. It's, it's not to, I'm going to tell him, you know, <coughs> you don't treat me like that. You don't get away with that. You don't sin against me, brother. I will, I'll let you have it. That's not that, okay? The purpose here is redemptive. The purpose is to bring him or her back. What, what did we just talk about in, in, in the paragraph just prior to this? You go, you go and you hunt for the sheep and you bring the sheep back. And the story that's right after this, you forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. God wants everybody to be saved. And so you got to make sure, i got to make sure that our motives are right when we go to someone. All right? That quotation down at the bottom there, that's actually from... D.A. Carson. Look at that. I, think, I thought this was pretty good. The aim is not to score points over him, but to win him over. Because all discipline, even this private kind, must begin with redemptive purposes. Redemptive purposes. It must be done consistently with the message of the whole Bible, which is redemptive. God is a God who restores and so you're going to your brother or sister is not so you might score points or teach them a lesson or get them back or put them in their place. Your goal is that this person's soul would be, would be saved. A couple of thoughts along that line because I think this is a, something we, we might get bogged down in the technicalities here and say, okay, step one, you do this, kind of mechanical. Step two, you do this. Step three, you do this. And then, you know, if then, if then, if then, you kind of follow this, this process here and I've done all the right things. I got, you know, I, I went through the process and nothing happened. It, it kind of can become mechanical or impersonal. That's, don't let it be like that. This is about redemption. This is a person who has sinned in such a way <coughs> as to have brought himself or herself out of fellowship, not only with the body and you, but with God. You're concerned about his or her soul, not about, not about your own, you know, making, saving face or whatever. It's not about that. It's about the person's relationship to Christ. Couple passages, couple other passages. One would be Galatians 6. If your brother sins, you go and restore him with a spirit of meekness. That's Galatians 6. You can read on down through about verse 6 there. Galatians 6. But the point of it, he says, is, is to restore, to bring him back. <clears throat> In 1 Corinthians 5, remember the story at Corinth. You had this pretty rough situation going on in the church where I mean, they'd come out of all sorts of paganism, uh, bad stuff, uh, all sorts of crazy out there, sexual kind of stuff and idol worship and all this stuff. Some of that came into the church. I mean, they had a hard time kind of understanding God expects you to abandon that kind of lifestyle. So you had a member of the church who was living with, sleeping with his stepmother. And the church was like, well, we're all about grace here at this place. We, we believe in grace. And so they weren't doing anything about it. It's fine. We're, you know, we're all saved by grace. We're all sinners. So, and Paul says, wait a second. This brother is living in a, in a state of adultery. He's living in a spirit of rebellion to his creator. He's abandoned sexual mores and the sexual status. He's, he's, he's living the way he used to live as a pagan, and you're not doing anything about it. Now, I bring that up because I want you to, I want you to see this. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, you need to go to him. And if you won't repent, you need to, basically, you need to, you, know, you can't let him be in fellowship with the church so that, here's what I'm getting at, so that his spirit might be saved. Even in that situation where you got this gross kind of immorality going on, this blatant immorality, your, your goal isn't to punish him. Your goal is that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. So that's what we're talking about here. All right, but back to the text here. So you go alone. You go alone. You don't get on texting. You don't get on Instagram or Facebook. You don't, you don't get on the phone. You, you, don't, you don't start talking about this to other people in the church. You're not going to believe what so-and-so. You know what? It's just ridiculous. You don't do that. That may be the way the world does it, but it's not the way we do it in the church, right? We don't get on the phone. We don't start sending messages. We don't start talking about this brother or sister and spreading stuff around the church, right? <laughs> sometimes, sometimes we have done that, though, in, in churches. Sometimes that's the way that people, because naturally that's the easiest to do. It's a lot more difficult for me to go to you and say, look, I need to talk to you about something. I'd, you know, I'd, I'd rather eat nails than do this. You don't want to do this. What's easy to do? Talk to other people about it. And then what happens is stuff, stuff starts going around the church and spreading around the church, and the last person who knows about it is the person who should have been the first person to know about it. What's wrong with that? Well, obviously, it's violating the direct words of Jesus here, but, but second to that, it is damaging to the body. Right? You see this happen at work. It's no, no surprise that it goes on at work and people are always, you know, going back and forth. There's always stuff going around the office and, and, and the workplace. And it's all the stuff going around. Church needs to be different than that. We follow Jesus. We, we've got re redemptive purposes here. It's not about saving face. It's not about making ourselves look good. It's, uh, it is about, it's about people's souls. You know, so that's what he's talking about. You go between you and him alone. And hopefully... He comes back. He listens. If he listens to you, here's the point of it all, verse 18, verse 15, you have gained your brother. <coughs> That's what you want. That's the, that was the purpose of it in the first place. Okay. But if he won't listen, verse 16, if he won't listen, <clears throat> take one or two others with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So if unsuccessful, take one or two with you. You take a couple of folks with you. <clears throat> There's, this is reflected in the Old Testament, by the way. When you had a situation, you, were to, you, you couldn't make an accusation against somebody unless you had two or three witnesses. This is reflected in that, or it's reflecting that kind of mentality. But again, don't let this be, okay, I'm jumping through all the right hoops so I can get you kicked out of the church. You know, That's where I want to get with this. I want to make sure you, you don't get away with this. And so I'm going to do number one, I'm going to do number two, and I'm going to do number three, and then we're going to get rid of you. No, it's not that. So don't let this be mechanical, impersonal. <clears throat> You're doing this. Why? Because you want him to know this is serious stuff, man. You've sinned against the Lord. What you've done to me is insignificant compared to what you've done to the name of the Lord. And we want you to come back. And so you take one or two who... No doubt you're going to pick people you think he might listen to. Right? You're going to pick people that you think might be persuasive to him or to her. So you take one or two with you and you, and you go and the three of you plead with him. 
We don't want you to be lost. We want your soul to be saved. We want you to come home. Brother, please come home. And hopefully, he'll listen. And if so, you go back to verse 15. If so, you've gained your brother. But if not, <coughs> if not, you tell the church, you don't want to do this. You don't want to do this at all. This is not where you want it to go, but, but ultimately it may, it may go there. If you remain stubborn and impenitent, and this is the kind of thing, this is not some you know, questionable gray kind of deal. This is a situation where the person has sinned blatantly. It's clear-cut. It's, it's, not, you know, it's not one of these questionable deals. But he's, he's sinned in some sort of blatant kind of way. And this is not a question about is it, is it wrong or is it right. This is clearly wrong. And this is somebody who then says, you know what, I don't care if it is wrong. I'm going to persist in it and I'm going to do it and I'm going to live that way and I'm not going to say I'm sorry and I'm going to persist in this kind of rebellion to the Lord. This is what we're talking about here. And if he won't hear you and if he won't hear two or three, then you tell it to the church and hopefully he'll hear the church, okay? So it, you, you tell the church. If he refuses to listen to you, verse 17, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And if that is the case, <coughs> what he's saying here, Gentile and tax collector, that's like a, that's kind of a, a figure of speech that they would use in the first century. Basically what it means is you cannot treat him as a faithful Christian anymore because he's not. So you treat him as a Gentile tax collector, somebody outside of the body of believers. That's how you treat him. What's your goal in this? Redemption. You handle it compassionately, gently, introspectively, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. That's Paul's language in Galatians 6. You, you do so in order to bring someone back. But ultimately, some people won't come back. And really, I think it's interesting how this is situated in between, you know, these two stories I mentioned earlier, what if a shepherd goes out to the sheep and the sheep's out there in the wilderness and is loving it? You know? Sometimes the sheep doesn't want to come home. <coughs> what do you do? Drag him? Kicking and screaming back home? No, what, what God does, and that's why this story's here, I think, is sometimes the sheep doesn't want to come back. Sometimes you go out there and you plead with the sheep and you beg the sheep. You, you, you reason with the sheep. But sometimes the sheep loves it in the mud. Loves it out there in the wilderness. Doesn't know what's best for him or her. Won't come back. And Jesus tells this story here. But, but then he follows it up. It's, you know, you remember first, you got, you got the story about the sheep. And then next you got forgive, 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 forgive. In the middle of it, you got what about the, the person who won't repent? See, the point of this whole deal is to forgive and to welcome back. But sometimes, sometimes, it won't happen. And in those situations, in those situations when the sheep won't come back, when the brother won't repent, <clears throat> you cannot extend forgiveness that God hasn't extended as far as welcoming someone to a relationship with God and with a local church. Now look at the last part of this, the last two verses here, last three verses, 18 through 20. He says, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. 
If two or three of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it'll be done for them. Then verse 20, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among you. Listen to that in, 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 in context, right? What he's talking about here is this situation. And he's saying, okay, you have gone with one or two. And so you've got two or three there. You've begged, you've pled, you've invited, you've reasoned, you've done all this to bring him back, but he won't repent. What do you, what do, you do? Well, then it becomes a matter of this person isn't invited into fellowship with the body anymore. You can't treat him or her as a person who's in fellowship with the Lord. <clears throat> and so then he's saying that when the church makes this kind of decision, God honors that. When two or three, that's connected to the one or two that you took with you earlier to, to see the person, right? So when two or three are gathered together in my name, when you agree on this, then God honors this. God is involved. The key phrase here, at the end of verse 20, at the end of this little paragraph, there I am among them. Just as a bit of an aside here, Matthew talks about this all the time. Matthew, in chapter 1, Jesus would be called Emmanuel. You remember what Emmanuel means? Emmanuel means God with us. All over the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew talks about Jesus in our midst, the real presence of Jesus in believers, in the body. And so when we take sin seriously, Jesus is Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's in our presence. But if we take the flippant attitude of Corinth that says, you know what, it doesn't matter so much, then the implication is God is not present in that body. This is stuff we got to take seriously as a community of believers. But I want, to, I want to remind you, this starts individually. It starts individually. It starts with you or with me. It starts with one of us. It doesn't get to the church until all else has been done. Matthew 18, 15 through 20. Our goal, our goal is that Jesus' real presence will be with us. That's what we want. That's, that's what this church wants. We want Jesus here, don't we? We want him here. <clears throat> I think he's here. I'm, 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 I, I know he's here. He was here with us a moment ago when we were communing with him. In fact, that's what he said, right? He said when he gave communion, when he gave the supper, he said, I'm going to eat and drink this with you in the kingdom. So Jesus sat down with us a moment ago and he ate this meal with us. Jesus is here with us. But when Jesus is here with us, when his real presence in a, is amongst us, we are serious about breaches of fellowship and about sin that hurts the body of Christ and hurts the local body of Christ. So that's why we obey what he teaches us in Matthew 18, 15 through 20. We invite you today, if you're not a Christian, to come to him been talking a lot about church matters, I guess, about, about things in, in the body. But I hope you see here an application to your own life that what Jesus does is he wants to invite you into his presence. Uh, if you're out there in the wilderness, then, then he's out there hunting for you. If you're in the far country, he's inviting you to come back. If you're lost, if you're away from him, he begs you to come to him today. And we as his people, we invite you to come to him today. If you believe in him, if you're ready to submit to him, we'll baptize you for the forgiveness of all of your sins 
And he will be really and truly present in you through his spirit today. Emmanuel, God with us. We invite you to come to him for baptism today or to come back to him today for prayers if we can help you spiritually. Let's stand and sing this song. With sorrow and care, hearts lonely and drear, burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. seated please if you will thank you Chuck for an excellent lesson this morning got several